I'm Kate, and welcome to the Picture House Podcast, where we discuss the architecture, design, and history of America's early cinemas. We hope that telling the stories of these places and the people associated with them will help you explore their place in our collective memory and our communities today. As we've learned so far in this series, the Bowler Brothers designed well in many modes, and the Spanish colonial revival is not least among them. In today's episode, we'll look at just two of the brothers' finer examples of this style. The first of these, while extremely Spanish on the outside, is an interesting study because its interior takes on a completely different European style. Let's look at Oklahoma's Coleman Theater. George Levi Coleman Sr. was a prominent businessman in Miami, Oklahoma, around the turn of the 20th century. He did well for himself in lead and zinc mining, well enough, in fact, to commission the Bowler Brothers to design an extremely elegant theater for his town. In May of 1928, the better part of the Miami Daily News Record's front page was taken up with a drawing of the proposed theater, accompanied by a brief write-up on its prospective features. At that time, the fireproof structure of California stucco was slated to seat 1,600 persons. And like many Bowler theaters, the Coleman would be part of a larger building that also included retail. The theater's engineer was L.D. McDonald of Kansas City, and the Rux Brandt Company was hired as the contractor. Although contracts were let in May, summer rains delayed construction. The Daily News record would later report that over four months' time, only two months' worth of work was able to be completed. But with the fall came steadier progress, and by the spring of 1929, the Coleman was nearing completion. Hundreds of workers and an army of skilled artisans transformed an unsightly corner into an abode of beauty equipped throughout for the entertainment, convenience, comfort, and safety of patrons, personnel, and performers. All of this labor, and about $600,000, brought to Miami one of the finest theaters in the Southwest. Once completed, the entire building was about 120 feet by 150 feet. The theater occupied about two-thirds of that, with most of the rest of the space being divided into eight storefronts. The Daily News record reported on the newly completed Coleman and its architectural details a few days before its opening. Steel and concrete were used throughout the edifice with metal lath in the walls, steel door dams, and other fireproof and wear-resistant material wherever possible. The roof is covered with a special composition several inches thick, which is absolutely fireproof and non-conducting with regard either to heat or electricity. Intricate terracotta decorations on the outside of the structure, so designed to harmonize with the California stucco finish, required several months' work by experts in special carving and an almost equal length of time in placing the pieces in the walls of the building. The National Register nomination for the Coleman further describes the theater, particularly in terms of its Spanish colonial revival traits, including the outstanding twin bell towers on the south side, the unique spire-like bell tower in the center, and the ornately designed curvilinear gables on the facade. The elaborately designed parapet walls, enriched cornice window heads, 
iron window grills, balconettes with wrought iron railings, stucco finish, and the red-tiled gabled roof on the western half. Going back inside, the Miami Daily News record described in detail the Coleman's lighting and the benefits it would bring to theater patrons. With the exception of an immense chandelier weighing more than two tons, which is suspended in the great dome in the center of the auditorium ceiling, the theater is illuminated entirely by the indirect method. All electric rays will first be cast against the walls or a reflector and then out into the auditorium, making possible a well-lighted place without glare. Patrons of the theater will never experience the optical shock of bright lights after comparative darkness or sudden changes of atmosphere lights because all such equipment is controlled by dimmer switches which fade gradually from one color to another. Inside the auditorium, there were also richly ornamented arches set off by delicately shaded sepia walls. W.H. Jennings Manufacturing Company provided cast plaster for a number of bowler theaters, including the Coleman. And of course, the theater was equipped with heating, ventilating, and refrigerating systems adequate enough to ensure constant temperature. Some of the heating and cooling equipment at the Coleman was provided by the B.F. Sturdivant Company, who were also frequent collaborators of the Bowler Brothers. Interestingly, despite being an excellently executed Spanish colonial revival picture palace that cost more than half a million dollars, and one with a Louis XV interior that's been called gaudy, an image of the Coleman was featured in a motion picture news article entitled Conservative Design Has Lasting Appeal. In the article, the Bowler brothers argued that some recent designs tended toward heavy and sometimes grotesque ornamentation, and instead they advocated for a cheerful environment. We see no reason why the Latin types, light and cheerful in feeling, should not continue to be in vogue, enveloping the tired businessman, his family, the sheiks and the flappers, with an atmosphere of enchantment which lifts them out of their everyday surroundings and away from the cares and worries of the daily grind. So, like many of their contemporaries, it seems that the bowlers were starting to get tired of over-the-top movie palaces by the late 20s. But it seems that they also felt they could continue to design pleasing theaters in this mode, although perhaps with a touch of caution. Well-decorated, plain surfaces, and a liberal use of fabrics with a conservative amount of refined ornamentation simplify the theater design and add to the dignity of the auditorium, they argued. The subdued lighting in this portion of the theater makes elaborate ornamentation and detail unnecessary, and some of the money usually lavished in the auditorium might be spent to better advantage in the lobbies, foyers, and lounges, which are continuously exposed to view. The bowlers concluded that unusual and faddish styles will come and go, but the theater of conservative design, offering opportunities for change in color scheme and furnishings, will find continual favor with a theater-going public. The Latin type, as the bowlers put it, was, and still is, certainly in vogue in Miami, Oklahoma. The Coleman Building, 
a combination theater and shops building that forms an artistic community development, as Motion Picture News put it, opened for films on April 18, 1929, to a full house. The local press estimated that the theater will give permanent employment to 28 persons, ranking it among the upper group of local enterprises in size of personnel. The actual performances are expected to account for a great influx of pleasure seekers from a district 25 to 50 miles in radius, which will further enhance the value of the enterprise to the community. The trade paper also noted that the Playhouse will be capable of adequately handling any type of production, from movies to vaudeville to roadshows. And from the day it opened to the present, the Coleman has been a destination. The theater was restored in the 1990s and today is operated by a nonprofit dedicated to providing quality arts and educational programming that fosters appreciation and community pride while maintaining and promoting the historic significance of the theater. Less than 200 miles from Miami, Oklahoma, in the town of Emporia, Kansas, another Bowler Theater was in the works in 1928. Like the Coleman, this Sunflower State Theater would be part of a larger commercial development. But unlike the Coleman, the Bowler's Theater for Emporia would be 100% Spanish inside and out. On September 5, 1928, the Emporia Gazette announced that a new $225,000 theater would be built on Commercial Street between 8th and 9th. Bowler Brothers of Kansas City, Missouri are now at work on plans for the new theater and work will be started on the structure early in the spring. Tentative plans call for a two-story structure which will house a theater seating 1,500 persons and three or four small shops on the ground floor. The building will be of Spanish design and the theater itself probably will be an atmospheric theater of the Spanish type. The Gazette went on to note that special deluxe features of the new amusement palace will be a large lobby and a mezzanine floor which will include comfortable lounges, smoking, and club rooms. It was expected that site clearing would take place in the spring and construction would proceed through the summer, with the theater ready for opening in the fall. By late January 1929, the local press was abuzz with the theater's imminent construction. The Bulletin published the Bowler's rendering of the theater and noted that its name was to be the Granada. Meanwhile, the Weekly Gazette reported that work on the new Granada will be started February 16th by Davis and Hillis, who have the general contract. Material has been ordered and should start arriving early in February. Demolition of existing buildings on the site took place in February, and by March 14th, the theater had been under construction two weeks and had progressed rapidly considering that 20 inches of frost had to be blasted off the site to permit excavation. Building materials including lumber and reinforced steel were on site as expected. From there, work progressed steadily at the 75-foot by 130-foot site throughout the spring and summer of 29. On August 8, 1929, the Gazette profiled the Granada as it entered its final stages of construction. Forty-five men are working overtime, rushing the building toward completion. They have nearly finished the exterior construction 
and plasterers are busy on the inside walls and ceiling. When the workmen have finished their job, Emporia will have one of the finest smaller theaters in the United States. It has a yellow stucco and red tile front, and the interior will be highly decorative, with colored beams, ornamental frescoes, pillars, and archways, all in the Spanish mode. Motion Picture News would later make special note of the Granada's proscenium arch enriched by a wealth of fine detail. The $350,000 Granada opened on Thursday, October 3, 1929. As the Gazette put it, from the natty art-dabbed plasterwork, including the whoopee-making loudspeakers of the sound device, and down to the last dab of Cupid's blush lipstick on the mouths of the handsomest squad of ushers west of the Mississippi, the Granada marked a new and most important addition to the educational and recreational life of Lyon County's trade territory. Theater owners advertise it as Kansas's most beautiful theater. A stunning theater indeed, and if not necessarily the most beautiful in Kansas, because there is some stiff competition, it's certainly a standout in Emporia and the eastern portion of the state. The theater's National Register nomination notes that the Granada was the most elaborate of a succession of theaters and opera houses that had been built in the town. The Granada showed movies into the 1980s and then went dark for a number of years. In the early 2000s, it was carefully restored by community members and today is a must-see venue for live shows, movies, and more, a destination for educational, cultural, and social events. The heavily detailed proscenium called out by Motion Picture News is clearly still stunning, and the Spanish-style colored beams, ornamental frescoes, and more look lovely. The Granada is definitely on my list of theaters to visit in person, and it should be on yours, too. Thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it, and I hope you'll join us for our next episode, our final in this series on the Bowler Brothers, when we look at some of their Art Deco movie houses. Until then, may your seats be ever in the center 